Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Welcome to the Insiders Sales and Marketing Podcast. I'm Simon Hazeldean. I'm a sales transformation strategist and sales performance consultant, helping my clients to get more sales more often with more margin. I'm also a keynote speaker and author of seven books on sales and negotiation. I'm your host, along with my co-host, the one and only Richard Lane, co-founder of Durham Lane, who are an inside sales partner that helps businesses grow their revenue through an integrated sales and marketing marketing methodology. Richard, great to be back in the Insiders studio with you again. And it's your privilege to introduce our guest for this episode. So over to you, sir. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Great to be back recording another pod and thrilled to be joined today by Franklin Williams. Franklin is Director of Global Commercial Excellence at Thermo Fisher Scientific. So Franklin, welcome. Really looking forward to our conversation today and I'll hand it back to Simon to get us started. Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. So, Franklin, welcome to the Insiders. Great to have you with us. What we'd like to do, as we do at the start of all of our episodes, could you just give a little bit of background, a little bit of, you know, career background and how you came to be in the role you're in currently so our, you know, listeners can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and thanks for having me here today. I've been in sales my whole career. I mean, uh, I graduated in uh, 2006, 2007, and went straight into sales at Cisco Systems, did big enterprise in big tech, moved into consulting, uh, back into sales leadership and back into consulting. And most recently, I was a consultant uh, at a sales and revenue consultancy called Scaled Consulting, where we handled hundreds of you know, both large and small clients. And, and I ended up finding an organization that, you know, I, I wanted to see the work that we'd done through. And when our engagement came up and a role came open that seemed like the right fit, it was basically the extension of what I'd been doing. So I, uh, you know, stepped in, took the role last June. And, you know, it's been a, an absolutely spectacular ride since, which, uh, which lands me here. And, and, and honestly, I'll just say, it's a lot of fun pivoting and injecting really modern sales behaviors into a megacorp um, and going through that transformational exercise. It's been a wild ride so far. Wow, I love it. Modern sales behaviors. We may uh, may return to that a little bit later, Franklin, I think. On your LinkedIn profile, I was having a, a look before we came on air. You, you mentioned everyone is a seller. Could you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, sure. There's two things kind of embedded in that statement, right? Number one, everybody can impact the bottom line in an organization. I I used to work with a firm where literally everybody had a target. You had to do some sort of bottom line impacting behavior in your role, whether it was outreach or reducing spend or doing something, but every role had some sort of a commission tied to it. And I love that. It was driven by their CRO, it was supported by their CEO, and it really put everybody's focus on the ability to impact not just selling, but also your numbers as a whole. Too many organizations get really focused in their, uh, you know, their specific skill set and their specific behavior and don't think about the organization as a whole. And this sort of skill empowers them to both go out and do some sort of selling behavior, and we'll get to that in a second, or even internally figure out how to support 
revenue generation and bookings generation by thinking about their function outside the box and the impact it can have on commercial teams. Secondly, and this one I think is is where you were really going, social is everywhere, right? Social is is the reality of today and frankly drives selling behaviors faster and more impactfully with no real spend, you know, you, you kind of put aside a little bit of time in everyone's schedule and give them a task to do, um, putting that out in the world. And you look at tools like LinkedIn and the States in Europe and, and, you know, various other tools across the rest of the world where you can get in, share your thoughts, share your perspective and get folks to empathize with you. And it's almost like a value driven presale behavior that everybody in a business can do. Um, again, finance can do it. Go out, talk about how using their product can impact an organization's budgeting or structure or spend or even, you know, just help drive up EBITDA by driving down, um, you know, spend and other behaviors to allow you to hire more salespeople or redefine how your product is positioned on the market. Um, you can get ops people in there doing something similar, even engineers sharing their perspective and getting people to think, hey, these guys know what they're talking about. Uh, it becomes the most powerful lead engine. And, you know, I'll tell you, we drank our own Kool-Aid. You know, my last firm, 95% of our inbound leads came from social selling. Wow. The, the amount that we spent on outbound efforts was infinitesimal compared to our CEO and our and our selling staff getting out there. And, and not just our selling staff, selling, marketing, our operations teams just posting their thoughts, all of a sudden you've got people reaching out or reaching back out to say, hey, we need more from you or we need some work from you or, hey, we know that you're a specialist at this behavior. Can you help us? And that took maybe two hours a week and generated millions of dollars. Um, so I, I'm a firm believer that social is is today's number one activity, but it needs to be driven you know, by marketing and then upward toward leadership to get that behavior embedded in an organization as a, a required action. I mean, it's great to hear you say that. And that's a that's a fantastic success coming from social. You know, I work with a number of clients in that area. And, you know, sometimes it's, well, we're very busy. And it's kind of like, you know, this doesn't take very long, right? It just doesn't take very long at all. And I think, you know, you, for example, you mentioned engineers. And I sometimes say to clients, engineers are like your secret sales force because the customer doesn't regard them as a salesperson they engage with them sometimes in an entirely an entirely different way they talk the same language don't they that's the that's yeah the they they do they do um richard for, from durham lane social for you yeah uh, well frankly it sounds like a a real best practice case there. I, I was just thinking of the change curve, Simon, as we were, as we, you know, listening to that point there, because I think it's absolutely true that everybody should be an evangelist for their company. Yeah. You can help grow the business in many different ways because it might be through saving dollars or it might be making dollars. Social has opened up the world for everyone in terms of how they can promote their organization. And, uh, you know, we do our best to do that. I think we've got some some rigor to uh, to install that that Franklin just talked about there. It needs to be sponsored at every level. You know, I think it's something we're we're working on hard because it's about reputation. You know, with post pandemic, um, trust and reputation is becoming probably one of the key drivers now at the, at the very top of the sales funnel. So everyone has a part that they can play in that. 
And I think also, it, frankly, with you getting everybody involved, you're potentially activating everybody's professional network, aren't you? Which is quite significant if you add all of those together. That's a fantastic source and, a, and an amazing best practice for organisations to follow. And on the subjects of social selling, when we were having a conversation in our sort of pre-interview, um, you said your, your focus is on having outbound organic content versus canned content. Can you expand on that, that those definitions and um, why they're so important? Yeah. And, and actually, let's let's even go back a little bit further, right? You know, people ask, why bother on LinkedIn? I mean, I, I got to tell you, and this will all lead, I promise this will lead to something in a second, right? Um, it's a network that's literally updated by users themselves. No one's spending money to try and get these folks to update their data. They're telling you actively this is what I'm doing. And ironically, it was started by the whole trend of LinkedIn's my resume. People wanted to go in and update it and make it appear that way. So they've been telling you for years what they're doing and where they are. Now it's not your resume, right? Now LinkedIn is literally a place to drive trust through your profile. But when you think about the content we're being shared, this exactly aligns to what you're, you're calling out, right? Can content feels like I don't care enough to go and put something out in the world. Great. Yeah. You know, we're going to go out and we're going to go send out all the stuff and I'm just going to reshare this. I don't care about what your business has to say. In, a, in effect, everything your company is putting out in terms of can being someone else made this, you're resharing this at the behest of your business. Typically, it's a mobile advertisement. Right. It's, it's a piece of advert that they've put in a package of a white paper or a PR event or whatever that delivers no real value to your reader. And, you know, as, as sellers, we talk about value all day long. And at the end of the day, we care about what our customers value. So when I get an in message, when I get, you know, the uh, link laden, pitch driven, product heavy message, when I see, you know, hey, you know, this company's doing this. Look over here. It's it's an advert. It's the effect of walking down the street in New York City and seeing something on the side of a bus. I don't care. I ignore it. And I'm thinking about the sandwich I want to get down the street. The good organic content is the stuff that you write about yourself. You know, what did you do on that sales call you were on? What was something you thought about when you talked to someone at work today? What's your career been like? What happened to you? Did you just get fired? What's the impact there? It's what your customer wants to hear. Now, unfortunately, you know, folks have taken this a little bit too far. They're posting very personal things on LinkedIn. You know, their family, somebody got sick. You know, oh, I got laid off, but I have this thing that got me laid off or very social opinions. When we talk about LinkedIn, we don't mean in a, the sense of social network that it's for you to share your very immediate personal life. It's a place where you go and you share your thoughts, feelings, and opinions about your or other businesses and how that impacts other businesses or markets aligned to your customer. It's not a space for clickbait. Clickbait is literally what gets people to ignore you. You know, I, and it's funny, I think about where I pay attention on LinkedIn. It's not the shares, it's not the canned content, and it's not the personal content that doesn't relate to something that I care about. It's the stuff that's like, hey, I was on a call last week and this came up, or the market's doing this. How are you perceiving it that gets us to engage? 
So really, you know, again, it's, it's what your customers think about. It's how they're engaging. It's what they might want to engage with. And then it's really done in a way that makes you thoughtful, right? How, how does someone look at you and think of you as a thoughtful, intelligent individual with something to share back to the market? I, I just want to highlight that we're in this nice middle ground right now. But as you think through that social strategy, really think about, have you not gone far enough in sharing your perspective or have you gone too far and diluted the value of, you know, that social attachment and frankly, of all the work that you've done to attract people to your profile. One, one final note, the LinkedIn algorithm does promote people sharing thoughtful engagement items. When it sees too many people engaging, making the same comment or arguing back and forth, you get demoted. Similarly, too many shares and too much canned content, your posts get demoted. Thoughtful, structured, comment-driven engagement that's not overly shared gets promoted. You know, we want to grab onto that as much as we can, get a lot of engagement, but not be so engaged that it looks like, you know, we're just sharing, um, you know, content that's driven to get shares. That's a, a wonderful, short, sharp masterclass, I think, in social selling content, Franklin. I and mean, there's some some really, really important points. I mean, sometimes if I'm working with salespeople on this and they'll say, you know, what do I share? And I normally say, what are you doing day to day? Who are you talking to about what? What questions are they asking? What challenges have they got? And normally, you've got a very rich, real-life genuine as well, which helps them connect you as a person without sharing that you're you know, your pet rabbit is uh, not very well or something, which I think is uh, best best left to Facebook rather than uh, rather than on LinkedIn. That's right. And I know you, you, you've got some, you know, obviously some strong views on social, which is great. And, and also, I know you've got some strong views on tech and how it could be used. And I know the subject of tech is a hot topic with listeners to the insiders. So love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about this for hours, right? Technology goes two ways, right? It's, it's strategy in, results out. Folks like to just drop technology in because it's technology. It sounds interesting. It sounds good. But you have to have strategy behind it. And, um, you know, the, the goal for me of technology is to do two things. It's to drive behavior and to drive output. You define your technology stack based on the behavior you'd like to drive, and then you define how you go through that behavior to the output you wanna get out on the other side. So my perspective is that it underpins everything we do, right? We build our competencies and our methodologies and our processes and our behaviors and our reporting into it. And by creating those gates and requirements, you can literally force people to do things by giving them certain amounts of leeway to do what they know that they do best, but also to provide you the data and the information that you need to have in order to be a thoughtful, intelligent organization. I've seen hundreds of Salesforce instances, HubSpot instances, you know, Dynamics, NetSuite instances, and they all do the same thing. They have a page. Well, not all of them. Many do the same thing. It's a page with lots of data for data's sake, and people fill out as little as they possibly can. Because, and, and I say this being in sales for decades, we are lazy people. We want to do as little as possible to get the highest amount of output. That's just good business. Do as little as you can to get the best results that you can on the other side. And it's okay. But that means that on the ops side and the tech side, our job is to make that little as possible exactly what we want and to make it feel like it's not a burden. 
And the biggest reason CRMs have become a stressor is because we've made the data that we have to fill out hard to get. Oh, you know, tell us the amount they want to spend. Who are the people? List it out. Give us all the requirements in here in this broad text field. There's no pick lists. We don't do thoughtful, you know, gating. All of our things are built in a way that's kind of frustrating. If we don't get that data, we can't move on. So it behooves us to then create the questions that we ask in a way that become intrinsic behaviors that our people have to do. Like, you know, hey, we know that as a, a top tip, top of funnel, we have to know, you know, who the basic people are and if we have a next meeting. So maybe if I click, yes, the next meeting was scheduled, it gives me a date field. And then I can't move on until I fill out the date field. So I can mandate that somebody will give me you know, a meeting time before we move on. On the other hand, I could note, you know, hey, I got off this call. I can't convert this lead until the person gives me a date. And then, you know, you go and you convert the lead and it goes to an opportunity and the rep won't accept it or it can't proceed until that date is filled out. I mean, it's basic things like that. And recently, as a huge boon, Salesforce opened up a new feature, which is, you know, expand as you fill which it hadn't done in the past. So you can literally say, when this is done, you get the next options. But you have to be thoughtful about not making people feel like they're being overburdened in those basic behaviors. I mean, I think sometimes in the in the quest to get, for example, opportunities well qualified, salespeople have to fill out, as you're saying, endless endless data fields, don't they? Whereas you're talking about really drilling it down to the key most important ones and making it as simple as possible for the lazy salespeople. I think I resemble that remark, Franklin, um, <laughs> to, to do it as quickly and easily as, as possible. Yeah, it's funny what you should say, because actually Durham Lane really exists Franklin, because I met Lee Durham at a course I was delivering all those years ago, and we got talking about creating a, a CRM system designed by salespeople for salespeople, which is exactly your point. We started researching that as we had our two little consultancies together and realized that neither of us was vaguely technical, so that wasn't going to help. It was quite a crowded marketplace already, so we uh, we did something different, which is where you get Durham Lane. But it is so true that you know rubbish in, rubbish out, you've got to make it easy I think CRM has really been designed by technical people for for management, and that doesn't really then sit well with uh, a busy sales professional that wants to make the best use of their time, Simon, not necessarily that they're lazy, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> it's an unfair term, right? But it's but you get what I mean, right? We want to do as yeah, little totally. as we can with the biggest impact. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my, my old boss used to say to me, you know, and, and the reason that I get this term is he used to joke when he was saying it, right? Like, I'm the laziest guy I'll ever meet. I want to do as little as I can with the biggest impact. And, and it struck a chord with me. We all want that. Businesses are good when they want that because it means you're being efficient. You know, you're maximizing output. There's actually a, 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 a modus that I've been beginning to operate by, which is if I can't do it on the train from my phone, it's not simple enough. If I can't whip out my phone and click a couple of buttons click you know the accept button and move on it's too hard now when i get back to my desk yeah i want the whole picture i want to see the whole thing but it's got to be easy because otherwise people just won't do it yeah 
It's good to test that. It's a great idea, but also that's the way everything is going, right? Everybody more and more is via smartphone. People are not, you know, field-based salespeople are probably not going to crack their laptop open, right? If It's going to be tablet at best. So I think, you know, making that, can I do it on the phone, on the train test? I think it's a great takeaway maybe for listeners to consider. Now, the Insiders, obviously, sales and marketing podcast. And as you would imagine, Franklin, a hot topic with our listeners is the the never-ending conversation about the alignment and or the connection between between sales and marketing. You know, we've had everything from warring factions to, to beautiful, beautiful partnerships to discussed. How are you approaching that kind of topic from your perspective? Yeah, that, that's a, this is a real big hot topic and it has been for so long and you make a really good point, right? We, we typically see marketing and sales having completely polar goals. Yeah, uh, we're just leads in. We don't care about the results. All we do is we, we make leads and then sales is saying, but your leads are bad. And marketing saying, we don't care how good the leads are or maybe it's you that's bad sales, right? You know, at the end of the day, someone's always to blame. You know, my first strategy is the obvious one, which everyone says that they do, but they do badly feedback loops. You have to have solid feedback loops. And the way that people fail at these is that they're not formalized. You know, your first feedback loop is often sellers to content. What's working? What's not working? What are you seeing convert? Digitize this. Have something like a high spot that feeds the data out through Salesforce so your reps can't just hand someone old content. It's got to go through your tools and then it's trackable. Similarly, have sellers give, you know, campaign feedback. How did it go? Where did we win? Where did we miss? The biggest gap is that sellers often don't go the whole way through a campaign and we don't have a metric to track it. I can't tell you how many massive thousand person selling teams I've seen that don't have something like a sales loft or an outreach in place that can give those analytics around winning, losing, et cetera, and and can allow us to A-B test. If you have a BDR, SDR team, they're intrinsically tied into marketing, right? Marketing should be developing the outbound strategy for these teams. It's a mistake to have your your, your sales teams do it. They don't know marketing's outbound strategy and what's already happening today, and they can't. Now, you could have a BDR lead or a dedicated person on your team do it, but then they have to be in lockstep with marketing as well. If they're out of that connective loop, everything begins to fall apart. Then you have to do some deliberate things, right? Test your quality of lead. Look at what's actually converting and what's not and and bring that back to your A-B testing. What works? How do we change? How do we uh, iterate? What are our timelines for conversion? Where are we dropping the ball? Is sales taking too long to get to our leads? Is there a bottleneck in marketing? We often see that some, you know, even small organizations take such a long time to get converted leads from marketing to sales that, you know, again, marketing saying, well, sales didn't convert and sales is pointing back at marketing and saying, well, you just left the leads on the table. So managing all of those things very carefully is critical. And and to me, again, this all comes from integrating your tech stack. Whatever your marketing tool is to your CRM, to your outbound automation tools, they have to be functioning together and ideally feeding into one dashboard, whether it's a Power BI or whatever you want to use based on your CRM, that data has to have a core home. And, you know, even if you don't have a data scientist, someone has to be doing all of that um, number crunching. Um, You're starting to see this change a little bit more and more. Uh, with more agile orgs, right? There's this view 
especially for things like inside sales, um, you know, that inside selling teams can be more agile and strategic. Uh, and, and, and I mean, we can get into this later, right? But inside sales is doing more than ever to manage more of the sales process, um, which is sort of a pivot from that BDR, SDR definition just two or three years ago, um, which is almost going back to where we used to be, right? Where inside sales was just an augment from some of these outsourced orgs to do cheaper sales that weren't technically in-house. Um, we're going a little bit back to that older mentality, but we're taking with us some of those SDR, BDR behaviors that align back to that critical marketing tie. Um, now, I do want to go back to, to, to something quickly, which is that the biggest way to get marketing in line with the rest of your org, the number one way from my perspective is to comp them on some amount of bookings or revenue generation. What are your leads converting into? And, and we give them some time out, you know, we give them six months, three, six months, depending on your sales cycle. But we want to see what they're working on convert. The slower the sales cycle, the longer we have to give them to get there. But we want to be able to say, you know, look, after a year marketing, only 40% of your leads are converting and they're only small deals. Or, hey, marketing, you're doing great. All of your leads or 80% of your leads are converting and they're big. But then you might turn around and say, okay, we're leaving a lot on the table that we need to go pick up because there's a long tail that we should also be, you know, addressing and picking up. And then it lets you kind of pivot and adjust and work with all the little bits and pieces that you have to create that holistic TAM approach. The, the other thing I'll note is that sales often gets frustrated with marketing based on where they're targeting. And over time, we want to work to address the total addressable market as opposed to these little spits and spurts and segments. And one of the things that drives me nuts is when sales says, we'll get the big leads over here. We'll deal with the big strategic accounts. And then marketing is relegated to all the small stuff at the end. And that just doesn't work, right? It's number one, it, it segments the market in a way that basically says that your teams aren't allowed to manage the the, the full breadth of what they're capable of targeting. And two, it makes the assumption that either one of these organizations can do everything, which we know that we can't. And then you end up with a lot of bickering with folks saying, well, we could have done that. Why didn't you let us do it? And that's not a good approach. So from my perspective, when I think marketing, the biggest way to get it to work aside from comp is to align it underneath your CRO, VP of sales, etc. Putting it under an operations lead or a product lead, which happens a lot, bifurcates the target that marketing is running for. Where in my perspective, all marketing really truly is, is tippy top of funnel to feed into top of funnel, right? It's really the funnel to your SDR team or your sales team or whomever. And all of the other componentry that marketing brings to the table is empowerment to your selling functions to continue to improve and to continue to get more leads or close deals faster. So, you know, aside from comp, which would come from a VP of sales alignment anyway, making sure that they're tied to the same leadership so there's one cohesive strategy is hypercritical. Yeah, we've, I think we've had that come out a few times with interviews about reporting into the same leader under the CRO seems to be a um, quite a trend at, at the moment. And Richard, in integrated sales and marketing methodology is kind of your your bread and butter, Durham Lane. So uh, your your perspective on Franklin's comments? Yeah, totally aligned, Simon. We've about a year and a 
year and a half ago, we created a RevOps function in Durham Lane. So that's for our selling unit is customer success, new business sales and marketing. So our marketing team absolutely know when a deal is closed that they've been a part of. So that speaks to what Franklin was saying there. I think the other thing from our, you know, the business services that we provide to our customers, I, I tasked our team a quarter ago. I said, right, we need to, there's a UK phrase, Franklin, eat your own dog foods. Hopefully that resonates. You know, we we spend a lot of time talking about the integration of, of marketing and sales, MQL to SQL. So we now publish quarterly the rates that we're achieving on behalf of our customers. And so we've we've had our first quarterly report published. We converted 34% of, of our client MQL into SQL last month, 25% on average across the quarter. We're going to publicly produce that every quarter and just tell the world what we're achieving because I read that across enterprise it's typically between one and two percent. So <laughs> there's a, a significant misalignment that you know I I think we've got a an obligation to try and bust the myth that it shouldn't be way way better than that. You know that's available. We could put it as a a link to this uh, podcast probably. But I think by going public on that, then it also drives our business to make sure we're totally focused on on making that happen as well on a daily hourly basis. And frankly, I think um, your comment on comp, we were were doing an interview recently with with one of our other guests who'd sort of come out of a history of sales roles into a more of a marketing role and was was very shocked not to have any targets for the first time. She sort of said, gosh, you know, how do I know whether I've had a good week or not? Which I thought was an interesting, really interesting perspective on having that, uh, you know, that outcome driven part. You also, you you were mentioning inside sales, and I know you told us previously, you, you had a view of it that was different to your industry so what was that difference yeah you know inside sales in in this and a lot of other really large industries is is typically um trying to think of a really thoughtful way to put this i mean it's really that older school you know look we're small cheaper lower cost sales people um and that that more i don't want to say more modern because it's changed again but that more um, startup-y feel of, you know, hey, our job is only top of funnel. That that typical SDR, BDR experience doesn't really exist. And, and, you know, I've seen enough enterprises to know that this is a very high trend, especially physical product and service organizations that aren't selling software or license-driven items where you just need to capture somebody's attention and the spend can be very fast if you're structured in a way that enables that. Um, so, you know, my, my experience has been, you know, as we move towards selling software, we absolutely need to start to pivot, right? It's, it's so, so critical that we recognize that inside sales needs to start approaching the market, um, you know, and, and be a little bit more strategic about that approach, but be a partner to our field sales teams. Now, I do want to note inside sales has changed in the last three or so years, predominantly due to the pandemic, although slightly before that it was changing as well. But what I like to highlight to people, and I had these thoughts probably about four years ago, pre-pandemic, that inside sales wasn't making sense anymore. But it became really prevalent during the pandemic where hiring, and young isn't really the, the issue, but unskilled, untrained, low-cost, you know, uh, B skill salespeople or people who have never been in sales but want to dabble because they're cheap but can be trained to follow a script 
to do sales. Our buyers are just too smart. They're too sophisticated, you know, and, and what we, what we're starting to see and what I'm seeing is, is older, not because they're older, but because they're more experienced, slightly more expensive, remote salespeople who love outbound. They're tough. They've got grit. They know what's required to do this sort of work. They can look at their metrics and pivot. Those people are bringing more impact to, you know, modern field sales than I can even begin to explain because what they're able to do, number one, is understand really what they're selling. Number two, they've seen outbound before, so they understand the bigger pattern of, you know, outbound top of funnel selling. Number three, because they've got more experience, they understand business and the questions that they're able to answer don't feel quite so scripted. They're able to get in, ask questions, ask the impact of their industry and the behavior of the client or prospect. They can really begin to dig. And four, they can do a little more than just tip-top funnel. They can often qualify, do a little discovery. Sometimes they can even reach out to existing clients and dig because they have experience in a space that they can you know, really leverage to grab onto and ask the right questions. And it makes them a good partner to you know, a customer success team. Great, they've started to identify these things, you work together, you can do that outbound, you can be the early stage seller before you're ramping things back up and passing it back off to a field team again. Um, so depending on your setup, I'm just recognizing over and over again that you know, at, at least for me and when I look at this space, it's becoming more of an augment to sales with the skill of sales but a refinement in top of funnel as opposed to being a throwaway group that works or doesn't and then you just get lucky. Um, but again, deliberate spending, not arbitrary hiring because they're there and because they're cheap. It's a more thoughtful approach, isn't it? And I think certainly, you know, you you referenced COVID and I think, you know, suddenly everybody was inside sales for a while. And I think that's probably shaken things up and a few viewpoints about yeah. what's possible from from an inside for an inside sales function to to achieve and, and do, which is, you know, is going to be, you know, really interesting to see how that can, continues to develop. Uh, so, Richard, do you want to just uh, any thoughts uh, from a, a wrap up from your point of view, key things you want to call out? Yeah, I mean, there's been lots to unwrap there, Franklin. So thank you so much for, for the conversation with Simon and myself. Uh, I think we started from pivoting modern sales behaviours into global enterprise. I think one thing we see is that global enterprises are complex. And there's certainly an opportunity to help them modernize how they sell uh, significantly. I love the idea that everybody has a responsibility to sell. So, you know, we've always had that inside of Durham Lane. We've we've trained many engineers, Simon, I think you brought them. We've trained them in selling at a higher level. So <laughs> yes. just giving yeah. them the confidence to ask some questions and have a conversation. And guess what? It turns into revenue and they go, well, why didn't someone tell me this before? <laughs> so that's been, uh, yeah, that's been uh, always an interesting one. We've had some good chat around and I think some key takeaways for our listeners around um, the tech that that enables sales teams mm -hmm. to be successful. And I think we're still some way off that connectedness, Franklin, in terms of um, the tech stack really being a connected tech stack rather than 
just a tech stack and a load of different technologies that people have invested in and maybe use a small percentage of. But I think we're all together on the least amount of work for the biggest output. If someone came with a CRM system now that allowed us intuitively to to document a deal cycle without us having to do any more work than the work we're doing with the customer, then that would be a, a, a killer idea. Um, and then final piece I, I liked was that idea of the feedback loop. You know, we're totally on board with that. Our business is around being almost, I talk about us as being the middleware that connects marketing and sales. You know, that connection point is so critical that you you don't waste the money that you're spending getting the right people interested in you. You know, how do you then take that and move that forward? So lots of takeaways, I'd suggest. Uh, really great to have you on the on the Insiders podcast, Franklin. Thank you so much from Simon and myself. And we will um, maybe check in with you in a, a while down the line and see where, see what progress has been made. That would be be great. Yeah, certainly. Franklin, did you have a possible song or track to go on the Insiders playlist just while we've got you? If not, we can uh, we can come back to you on that one. You know, I, I did, and it's something that um, my, my whole family has been enjoying. One of my favorite artists for the last couple of years has been this woman, Melody Gardot, and she did a cover of The Bare Necessities, that, uh, that song from... Uh, <laughs> The Jungle Book years ago. Jungle Book. And it's just so, I mean, I could listen to that track a hundred times. She and, and the individual that she sang it with are just so talented. I, I would encourage everybody to go take a listen. Fantastic. Uh, guess where I'm headed on YouTube uh, as soon as we've as soon as we've finished <laughs> with this one because I love the movie and I love that song from when I was a kid. So to mm-hmm. see a cover version will be, will be fantastic. Yeah, there's a whole album of Jazz Disney. Which we, we discovered, and it's just so good. Uh, I mean, literally, we we put it on by accident, and it was—I I kid you not—it was on. You know, it was on the radio for a solid month. Wow! 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 That's uh, this playlist to be a voyage of discovery. The insiders' playlist, without a shadow of a doubt. Thanks ever so much for your time, Franklin. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. So thank you very much for joining us on this episode of The Insiders. Please make sure you subscribe so you get notified of new episodes, uh, which we are recording and releasing on a regular basis. So thanks for listening in, folks. Good luck with all your sales and marketing. The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.